Dotnet Rocks episode 762, recorded live Saturday, April 14th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thanks very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're talking today about wind power. It's geek hey, out Richard. time. Yeah, it's geek out time. I love doing these shows. Yeah, you know, hey, I think I've said it every show so far, and I'm going to say it again. You were right, Mr. Franklin. Well, you know, <laughs> I think people just like to know a little bit about everything. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Well, and it, and honestly, you know, I, I know a fair bit about some stuff, but these shows make me double check a lot of facts Yeah, and often change my mind about things, like change the way I think about certain problems. So I, I appreciate the effort and exercise involved. So Richard, do we have a comment for this show? Yeah, we certainly do. And I, and I got to tell you, I mean, we get a lot of comments on a lot of shows. In fact, I find it a very interesting gauge for how popular a given show is by the feedback from it. And we always get a ton of comments on Geek Out shows. But they're some of the longest comments. I mean, pages. They're huge. And I hate to tell you this. Like, uh, um, uh, Jose Garces wrote a comment on show 742 about smart grids, which I read and studied because it's very, very thoughtful. And, and Jose, I can't read it. It's a novel. Right. Like yeah. it's really lengthy, but he's talking about the issues around harmonics, uh, in, in power, uh, coordination, which just gets back to, you know, absolutely relevant to what we're talking about in wind power, but it's a very complex topic. You can't cover it briefly. Uh, I did want to read, uh, a shorter comment from Brian Smithson, also from show 742, the smart grid show. Uh, and he says, uh, good morning. Just finished listening to yet another awesome geek out. And I just had to chime in. And my first note has already been made by Brian, which was an earlier uh, comment in this stack where Brian was talking about uh, ham radio. Uh, and uh, this Brian included um, his ham radio handle. So, it, you know, long before there were computer geeks and all these different things, there were ham radio geeks and they're still out there today. Uh, but Brian says, I too am a ham radio operator. And while I haven't personally experienced the BPL problems, that's broadband over power lines, which have all sorts of interesting issues. Uh, I have been following it with great interest. Power lines amount to being enormous antennas, which can receive as well as radiate as installed. They cannot carry radio frequency content without radiating. Uh, and I, you know, I'm just not a big believer in let's use the power lines to transmit data. I think we have cell networks for yeah. a reason. We've got right. broadband to the home for a reason. We should just be tapping into this stuff. It's not a big deal. Uh, but Brian's main point here was about DC in the home. Uh, Brian's involved in the automotive industry. And so his ears perked up when I mentioned the idea of 48 volt DC in the home, because there's a similar push for 48 volt DC in cars. And the big thing about 48 volt DC in cars is things like starter motors and such. Like if you have a, you know, the sort of modern car where the engine literally stops when you come to a stoplight. Yeah. Well, it's really hard on a 12 volt battery to restart the car each time. It's negatively damaging to the 
to the battery long term. Mm. So if you had more voltage, we had more push, it'd be much easier to do that. And you end up saving fuel and, you know, saving the environment. It's a, it's a good idea. So there is a push there. But one of the challenges that Brian brings up here is this whole, you know, everything's wired for 12 volt DC and we'd have to change a lot of stuff to make those things work properly. Uh, at, but if we had DC coming right out of the walls, you know, those equipment would then be portable between the car and the home. If, it, if we use 48 huh. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I bring up 48 specifically because I've worked in data centers where we have common power supplies. Cisco was big into this. You'd have at the bottom of the rack a big power supply that was converting 120 AC into 48 volt. And then you're just running 48 volt to all of the different pieces of equipment because they all need DC and 48 is enough for anything. Uh, but my favorite comment out of Brian's comment was the last thing he said at the end. I guess after all these years, Edison was right. Mixed with Westinghouse... It's a combination of AC for long distance and DC in the home. You know, what we need is we need a USB adapter that, you know, USB is like, what, 5 volts, yep. something like that, four four 4.75 to 5.25. But we need a 48-volt uh, USB adapter, something that is not only a standard voltage, but a standard connector. Because, you know, I am done with transformer hell. Oh, man. You know? Done. Definitely. I mean, yes, it'll put Radio Shack out of business, but I don't care about it. <laughs> they can do something else. Serves them right for asking me what my social security number is when I want to buy batteries. Nice. All right? So, anyway. Hilarious. All right. So, how do we start this show? Well, how much power do you think the United States consumes in a given year? Good Lord. A hard number? I have no idea, but it's huge. So, I'm checking Wikipedia here and uh, presuming it's accurate. You never know that they have numbers up to 2010. Uh, in 2010, the United States consumed 28,714 terawatt hours. I don't even, I can't even put my mind around a number like that. Right? Kilowatt is thousand, megawatt is million, gigawatt is billion, terawatt is trillion. Okay. So, trillion, you know, thousands of trillions of watts. Thousands of trillions of watts. Now, at According to the data that's available here, in 2010, the United States also led the world in wind power production okay. and produced 95 terawatt hours of wind power. So, 20,000 versus 95, so doing the 28,000. Almost 30,000 versus 95. I'm just going to pull out a calculator because I'm smart, but I can't figure that out. It's that less than 1%. Yeah. So, it's much yeah. less than 1%. 95.2 divided by 28,714 equals 0.3%. 0.3% yes. of the U.S. power, which is the leader in wind, yeah. was generated by wind power. That's right. And it, that's a lot of windmills. When you figure, you know, when we talk about large-scale wind turbines, they, the big ones these days that are common in production are up to a megawatt. Well, this has been .NET Rocks. Hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> We're out of here. Uh, seriously, I mean, it sounds so insignificant. Should we even bother with wind? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you put, you put the solars in the same boat, man, we, but they're all good things around this. These are renewable energies. They uh, have distinct advantages. You know, we want to go this way. The question is, you just get your head around how big a problem we're dealing okay. with. And, and there's ways to solve this, right? Yeah. We are, we are reducing our consumption. We are scaling up wind power generation. But, you know, 
think about the issues we talked about in the electricity show and in the smart grid show about all these different generating power sources. But so we should sort of talk through the different turbine designs yeah. where things are really going. Well, let's talk about basic turbine design. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. You have a rotor and you have a stator because we talked about this yep. before. And in- this is how I know this. Mm-hmm. And you basically have electromagnets that pass over each other and create an alternating current. Right. And uh, it only happens when that thing is turning. Yep. And when it's not turning, there's no energy. Right. So obviously storage is necessary when you have wind, storage and or transmission. But the transmission seems like a big problem because doesn't it have to be generating at just the right amount of voltage in order to transmit it? Well, you're you're hitting on a couple of key issues here, which is wind speed isn't consistent. Right. And uh, if you recall, again, back from the electricity show, when we talk about steam turbines, they spin at a very exacting speed, and they are alternator design generators so that they need yeah. to turn at exact speed to create an exact sine wave yeah. at an exact cycle at an exact voltage. Yeah, that's kind of a tall order. Right. And that just doesn't work well for wind. In wind, we use induction generators, which are much lighter weight and simpler, but they're not anywhere near as precise. So you absolutely need a buffer between every wind turbine and the grid. Hmm. So uh, this is the expensive part of, of wind turbines are these banks and banks of capacitors, inverters, and power stabilization to be able to insert that power on the grid. And I remember it, looking into buying a windmill, and you you basically, they were rated in their lifespan. Like, how much does it cost for the windmill? How much energy could it put out before it would just physically break down? Yep. And and you have to do that math first to determine if you're going to make your money back on mm-hmm. the wind turbine. You, you, and and a lot of times you don't. It's yeah, it's mighty. It is a challenge, and and it's by far the most popular wind turbine are these horizontal axis right. turbines. So that is the great big tall tower. The tur- the actual generator, that induction generator, is sitting at the top of the tower with the blades attached to it. Yeah. Okay. Now there's these things get big, big. When you talk about megawatt, and now they're talking about ten megawatt models with 150 foot long blades. Yeah. So you know spans of over 300 feet. These are big, big machines. They're very powerful. They're very dangerous. And when they and they're under tremendous stress. Now they mean the aeronautical industry has made us good at building great big blades that way we know how to do that but the forces on them aren't trivial and they eventually destroy the turbine right uh inevitably they you know that is a problem and you run into this interesting problem where yes that's a one megawatt turbine how much time do you think a one megawatt they call it the nameplate rating of a turbine when you're dealing with a turbine that has a nameplate of one megawatt how much time in the lifespan of that turbine does it actually produce a megawatt of power are you saying how much time does it spend producing power? Well, not over producing its power, period, but producing its optimal, its rated amount of power. Oh, I see. So it may it may generate less than a megawatt yes. at many when the wind is down. Mm-hmm. What at what percentage of its time is spent actually performing up to its capacity? Peak capacity. Yes. Uh it's gotta be pretty low. It's virtually never. Uh yeah. unlike Unlike other kinds of generators, you know, a, a coal-fired power plant 
runs at almost 100% all of its life. Yeah. You feed in the coal, it boils water, water boils at a particular temperature, steam turbines maintain a particular pressure, right. they spin at optimal speeds all of the time. Right. That's their design. And we talk about in the, the number of nines of percentage time that yeah. it's actually running there. And wind turbines are not like that. They're way, they run much lower there. So often, if you're a, a homeowner considering buying one of these things, or you're the electrical grid trying to add more to it, you look at a one megawatt uh, turbine and say, well, we're only going to get 500 kilowatts out of this thing most of the time when it's running at all, because well, and, and wind speed a, varies. It's a rating, right? So it's basically saying, how fast can these things spin before it causes you know damage to the to the device right and they've, they've got a, they've got a range where they need a certain amount of wind yeah. and it's typically uh 10 miles per hour and above where they're actually spinning at a useful rate and anything above 30 or 40 miles an hour and they have to shut them off or they'll rip themselves apart this portion of dotnet rocks is brought to you by our good friends at telerik who want me to tell you all about their support for windows azure Telerik was one of the first vendors to provide support for Windows Azure back in early 2009 when the cloud platform was first released as Cloud Trust Protocol. They now offer everything needed to help .NET developers build quality web, desktop, and Windows phone apps for the cloud quickly and easily out of the box. Check out Telerik.com Azure and take the shortcut to Windows Azure development. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, now now let's have some good news about innovation in wind power. Mm -hmm. Go to tinyurl.com slash Japanese wind. The title of this story is Japanese Breakthrough Will Make Wind Power Cheaper Than Nuclear. A surprising aerodynamic innovation in wind turbine design called the wind lens could triple the output of a typical wind turbine, making it less costly than nuclear power. And then there's a note. Some major wind projects, like the proposed TWE Carbon Valley Project in Wyoming, are already pricing in significantly lower than coal power, $80 per megawatt hour for wind versus 90 per megawatt hour for coal. And that is without government subsidies using today's wind turbine technology. So, so there are some bright lights in, on the, on the horizon, but yep. I, have you heard of these, uh, wind lenses before? No, I haven't seen a wind lens before, but it means like it's a you know you can get an implication of what it's about, right? Yeah, that you just the idea of focusing more wind and being able to gather it more effectively. It reminds it reminds me of the device in that movie Contact. You yeah, know, if you look at the picture of this thing, it's a big circle with uh, looks like six blades. You know, mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, six six blades emanating from the center, and uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and the big thing you look at that design and many of the other designs, I mean, for better or worse, the horizontal turbine is a very known set of technologies. They've made lots of them. They have their issues, but, you know, there's a there's power to being able to buy that. And if you go shopping for a turbine, you know, almost all that you're going to look at are going to be these horizontal turbine designs. Yeah. Well, they also work very well in cities where you don't have a lot of uh, horizontal space, right? Uh, well, because they tend to be need to be tall to be up in the wind stream, right? Yeah. Um, I don't. I think they're particularly attractive. They are awfully hard on birds. Yeah. Uh, and so there's all of these helical designs. There's uh, the the vertical design. So now we we are talking about actually the axis is vertical instead of horizontal. So we can put the the generator part on the ground. 
So let right. me send you to uh, the uh, one of the smaller designs. This is more of a home-based design. Okay. So go to tinyurl.com slash U-G-E Helix, H-E-L-I-X. So UGE stands for Urban Green Energy. This is a website. This company sells basically home-sized wind turbines, but this is the helical design of a vertical wind turbine. Neat. So few advantages. One is I think it's kind of cool looking, and that's not a trivial thing if you're going to build this urban. Yeah. Um, They tend to be quiet because they don't have the giant blades. They're omnidirectional, so it doesn't matter which way the wind blows, they will turn. Because yep. they, they don't have to point into the wind like traditional horizontals have to work. Right. The, the thing that actually needs maintenance, the generator, is on the ground. Good. Because it's vertical, that shaft is the, the spinning shaft, and, and you can put it down on the ground, so it's a lot easier to maintain. Uh, it runs in lower wind levels, so it doesn't need to be quite as tall. Uh, they're easier on birds because the helix design tends to make something that a bird can see and avoid. And mm. apparently, they're quite a bit quieter. So I'm looking at the specs here. It has a, a a maximum power rating of four kilowatts, right? It uh, which is quite a lot. So it can turn qu- quite fast before breaking down, is what that means. Um, it, the cut-in wind speed. It has a, a survival wind speed and a rated wind speed. I'm not sure what those three things are. What is the cut-in wind speed? So that's the point at which it's spinning efficiently enough to actually make power. All right. Well, that's seven miles an hour. Right. That's low. Yeah, so survival wind speed, probably uh, how fast it can possibly take. Yeah, that's if I've got it turned off, right? Like I've locked it, but it won't rip itself to pieces, just not even moving. 123 miles an hour. So that's like a class two hurricane. That's pretty good. Yeah. The rated wind speed. So that's the optimal power production. 26 miles an hour. Right, which is right in the groove of where good wind speed should be generated. And the annual energy at five and a half meters per second is 6,000 kilowatts a year. Right. So that's about 10 miles an hour, roughly. So if this thing is picking up 10 mile an hour winds constantly, which is probably not going to happen, but you're talking about 6,000 kilowatt hours in a year. Now, the four kilowatts is not that much. My generator at home is is 14,000. 14,000 watts or 14 kilowatts. So it's not a whole lot. This is a home-based power generation system. No two ways about it. And I really wanted to reference it as a design because there are bigger versions of this particular type of of generator. Uh, This one for the home is quite cute and and a good system, but uh, it's small. There are other designs out there and we're starting to explore, you know, how to generate power with that. They don't scale near as well to the very big designs that the electrical industry wants to use. Yeah. But that's not where I think the opportunity is here. You know, if you think about our where our conversations are going with the smart grid and so forth, it's about producing more power locally. That's right. Right? We want to go to a smart grid where it maybe not me personally owns it, but maybe it's part of a neighborhood thing. Right. And we can get these helical generators to work in groups because they can be positioned closer together and generate power locally. The challenge, of course, is the way that these things produce power doesn't make good AC sine waves that can be added to the grid, especially in this small scale. Yeah. So realistically, when you're talking about a home based turbine of any kind, you need to insert it into the kind of power systems we talked about on the solar show. You want it to charge batteries and to run your home off of batteries. Yeah. 
And it takes a lot of power and a lot of batteries to run the sort of current generation home, which is where we get back to this whole idea of why are we converting to AC at all? You notice when you looked at the specs of the UGE 4K, it's off-grid output. It's sort of native output, 48 volts DC. Wow. Isn't that funny? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just start to see this formula forming where if I could have a 48-volt system, you know, which works out very nicely in my classic 12-volt lead-acid batteries, that comes out to 48 volts too, just gang them in groups of four, and I could actually pump that directly into my walls, I could power stuff. You know, the bits awesome. and pieces are starting to show. And, then, you know, we the classic combination is solar and wind together because when the sun isn't shining, often the wind is blowing. Yeah, that's right. They do make a good partner. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread, but now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.NET from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. All right. So now let's talk about where wind makes sense and where it doesn't uh you know because the the first thing people think of is you know am i in a good place for wind well you can obviously tell by just walking outside and if it's windy guess what probably but you know if you want to look at overall trends there's a company called three tier which provides prospecting tools for renewable energy and they did this study uh and made a graph a, a world graph of where solar and wind uh work best so if you go to tinyurl.com slash where wind, W-H-E-R-E, wind, uh, you'll see this graph. And, and it's pretty cool. Where wind and solar power make sense. And for solar power, you know, it, it pretty much goes with climate. That's, you know, a given. But for wind power, it's interesting. If you look at the hot spots for wind power, we're talking Greenland. Look at Greenland, how dense that is. How yeah. The wind speed is way up there. What is it? Nine meters a second, something like that, or higher. Alaska, the uh, southwestern United States, the eastern United States is, has a little hot spot there. Mm -hmm. Tierra del Fuego in South America, yeah, and the whole tip of South America for that uh, for that matter. Um, eastern Africa, almost all of Eastern Europe is is pretty pretty good. Not. Not great, but pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, the Cape of Africa. Mm -hmm. Cape Horn. Cape Horn is a, is a real hot spot. Uh, Australia, not bad, it looks like, but not ultimately. Yeah, it looks like the uh, Southern Islands, Tasmania, more oh, way yeah. down there. Yeah. Yep. And, of course, uh, um, up in the uh, Himalayas. Yeah, of course. There's a, there's a hot spot there. Not an easy place to build. No. All, and not yeah. a lot of demand for power up there either. But I think that's generally the problem. Some of the windiest spots in the world don't need electricity. And, of course, Scandinavia. Yeah. Uh, and the UK. And Iceland. And Iceland. Yep. Uh, big hot spots. But what's interesting about this is that a comment that you said, you know, 
where the where the droughts are of wind is precisely where we need alternate energy. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, and, and when an you when you compare these maps together, like at least in the North American maps, you can see there is some overlay between solar and wind. That often yeah. where it's not, you know, the classic example is Mexico. Not a lot of wind, but a ton of solar. Right. Right. So they and uh, but the Southwest seems to have both. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I we're still wrestling with this whole argument about the Tres Amigas superstation. You know, being able to have that high-powered backbone across the United States so that you could generate all that power in the Southwest and then spread it to the coast where it's needed. Now, um, one place that isn't obvious uh, for wind on this map is the Great Lakes. So if you go to uh, tinyurl.com slash greatlakeswind, there's an article um, There's an article called The Great Lakes' Huge Potential for Wind Energy Development Drives Industry Interest about uh, the people who want to put windmills all over the lakes because there is a whole lot of wind there. It's interesting, isn't it? And, of course, the, and the Great Lakes generally aren't that deep, so you could do the masted design, and, but otherwise have it generally not visible to people because people don't really like looking at turbines, although I don't find them horrendous myself. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you could hide them in yeah. a place that's not that far away from where power is needed. Sure. You know, it's pretty yeah. compelling. It is compelling. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is subsidies, because in the U.S., we have been subsidizing solar and wind power for years, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason why they're as cost-effective as they are, even though they're not entirely cost-effective, but that's part of the reason. Well, that's about to end. Really? Well, 2014. If you look at this article at tinyurl.com slash windsubsidies, Federal support for clean power, quote, will have been largely dismantled by the end of 2014, end quote. A new report by a trio of think tanks warns. More than 70% of the programs now on the books, many of them part of the Obama administration's 2009 economic stimulus bill, are set to expire in the next two years. So, in other words, we're coming down to some political issues here where uh, where decisions are going to be made and laws are going to be made to subsidize or not to subsidize. Mm-hmm. So this is a, you know, if you wanted to get uh, active about that, that's a a good place to do it. Because ultimately, it may mean, hey, we're looking at getting a windmill. Well, you got two years. Right. To get the subsidy now. Or solar. Yeah. It's really, and it's really a question of how many, will those laws be renewed? Because they usually are. They usually are. But, you know, we have, uh, these are hard economic times in the United States. We're in cutting and slashing and burning mode. Yeah, well, at the same time, you know, the, for the most part, traditional electrical systems are running at their limits. That's true. We need we need more power anyway. Uh, yeah. Although I was interested to see, and this is off topic because I think it's our next show, the U.S. for the first time since Three Mile Island has issued a permit to build a nuclear power plant. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Interesting times. Interesting but, times indeed. But we'll save that for another show. Because that's well, a whole other topic. <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. This is always fun, and we hope we put wind power in perspective for you. It sure is interesting. It's all part of the same equation we're dealing with: alternate forms of energy, power, geeking out. You know, it's good. Yeah. And if you've got any comments, please write them on the show. If we've missed something you think is important, we are not above doing more. Because uh, the geek outs are coming once a month, and there's always more to talk about. And you okay with doing nuke next? Absolutely. Let's cover nuclear power. I got a pile of research on that. It's going to be a long one. 
Awesome. Until then, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a 